Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for how you loved, for how you've given us everything, Jesus, how you've blessed us, how you look down on us with favor. God, we worship you. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy, but you did it because you wanted to. You sent your only son because you wanted to, because it gave you great joy to. And Lord, we worship you and we lift you up in this place as just an act of gratitude, as an act of thankfulness and praise. We worship you, God. We give you all the glory in this place. In Jesus' name. Come on, someone say amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Wow. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you didn't just send us words on a pages, God, but you sent the word into our world so that we could not just hear about who you are, but that we could see and experience the heart of God. We thank you for Jesus, for the birth of King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet by the name of Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to pin these words. He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is probably one of the most popular or most preached on portions of scripture during Christmas time. The prophetic words that one day a Savior would be born unto us, unto us. But let me ask you, how long has it been since you've really thought about these words and what they mean? Because we, we can get so used to hearing this at, at Christmas time that we just kind of glaze, we just look at it with glazed over eyes. But today I want us to look at this again. Unto us a child is born. Unto us, church family. Unto me, unto my family unto you and your family, unto this world, sinners and saints alike, Christ was born unto us. And this child will be called, and he says four different things, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now, I tend to be the kind of guy that I, I like to play around with people. I like to test the boundaries of people's patience sometimes, I guess. And uh, I've got this bad habit of, of giving people that I'm close to or people that I get to spend a lot of time with, I have this bad habit of giving them a nickname, calling them something besides their actual name. And uh, my sister-in-law and my brother, they told us just this last year that uh, they were expecting a child and uh, it was going to be a boy. And so naturally, the first question that everyone asks is, what are you going to name him? What's his name? So I asked my, my brother, my sister-in-law, what, what's his name? So we're going to name him Walker. I said, oh, that's a, that's a good name. That's a good name. I'm not going to call him that, 
but that's a good name, right? I'm, I'm going to call him something different. And naturally, the only thing that made any sense was Chuck. Chuck. Some of y'all know exactly where that comes from. If you're alive in the 80s or 90s, there's a popular TV series called Walker, Texas Ranger. And it was played, the main character was played by a guy that we call Chuck Norris. And uh, he's both a living legend and a mythical figure. Uh, you know, they, they say that when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he doesn't push himself up, he pushes the world down, right? So th this is the Chuck Norris, uh, I mean, this, it's just lore and, you know, ancient uh, mystical figure, I guess, <laughs> in our time, of course. Um, so anyways, I told my brother, I was like, well, just get ready. My sister-in-law especially, like, I probably never will call him Walker. It's just going to be Chuck. It's just going to be Chuck. And uh, I love that Isaiah, as he prophesies that Jesus is going to come, he, he doesn't give us the name. He gives us what he's going to be called. And that's very important because he could have said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be Jesus. But the Holy Spirit inspired him instead to tell us what he would be called. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, our prince of peace. How long has it been since you've thought about what those four names, those four titles, what those mean to you? Not just to us, but what does it mean to me? That this child that was born on this very first Christmas night would be my wonderful counselor. Church, how we need good counsel, especially in the times that we live in today. We need good, wonderful counsel. That this child that was, that was born on this first Christmas night would be mighty God. Not just another good person trying to make a good name for themselves. Not just another prophet to, to go and speak God's word to people that need God, but God himself in the flesh, mighty God in human form. What does that mean to us? That he is our everlasting father. This one's hard to wrap your mind around. He's the everlasting father, and yet he still took his first breath one night as a baby. And our prince of peace in a world ravaged by sin and destruction and chaos, we can live at peace because Prince of Peace was born unto us. Unto us. Let that sink in for a moment. God in the flesh. <laughs> Imagine Mary and Joseph that night in the barn. Jesus is born Imagine Mary holding Jesus and wondering, is this child the one who laid the foundations of the earth? Is this child the one who determined the dimensions of the universe? Could the hands that I'm looking at and the lips that I'm looking at so small and tiny, could this be the same God that spoke and stars were born? 
Could this be the same God who existed before the beginning of time? Could this be the same God who told the oceans as far as they could come and say, that's it, no further can you come? Who is the one that marked out the heavens and the stars and the galaxies and the moons and, and the planets? Is this the same God who with perfect wisdom crafted the eagle to be a skilled and fierce flying predator? Is this the same God who breathed one breath and created light out of nothing? Is this the same God who sends rain and snow in their seasons? Is this the same God who carved the canyons and set the mountains on a pedestal? The same God who carefully and intricately crafted the butterfly? in its delicate nature with all of its beautiful colors? Is this the same God who created oxygen and wind and breath? The same God who created powerful roaring waterfalls and terrifying avalanches? A God like this coming into this world unto us? We should be a people that celebrates this God. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph looking down at this tiny newborn baby and just being filled with wonder. Could this be the same God? Could he have really chosen to come in the middle of the night, in an unobscure town, in silence, no fanfare, no crowds, no processions, no celebrations? People aren't in the streets screaming and shouting his name and praise, but he comes in the secret of night? Could he have really chosen Mary and Joseph to be the earthly parents to raise him, to nurture him, to feed him, to help teach him how to take his first steps? Could he have really chosen two people so seemingly insignificant? And could he have really chosen this moment and this place and time to be born in a barn of all places? No decent place to lay his head. I would submit to you tonight that this is the same God. This child is God in the flesh. He's God in the fury. The title of this whole service here is silence and fury. He's God in the fury of a raging waterfall and a terrifying avalanche, but he's also God in the silence, in those still small moments. God in the fury and God in the silence. God in the fury and God in the silence. Y'all check this out. that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth when the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable when a young mother wept tears of worship falling on the baby in her arms and the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem soft as the tender beating of his heart and all was calm all was bright yet could this be the same god of abraham 
the conqueror of Israel, this baby, this fragile life. Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts? Who breathed life from dust? Broke the oppressor's rule? Scattered the chains of his people like sand? And led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame? Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind? Stood defiant in the raging furnace? Wrote judgment against tyrants and blazed on the lips of the prophets? Scorching history's pages with the fury of his might? Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king? setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him. But I guess when you're the God of the universe and you come in such a humble way, there's going to be skeptics. There's going to be questions. Bible theologians have debated ever since the incarnation about the incarnation. <laughs> could this really be the same God? How could this happen? Why, why would he do it this way? If, he could do, if he's God of the universe and he could do it any way, why did he choose this way? Why did he choose to stoop down this low to be born as a human? Why would a king this mighty, why would an everlasting father, why would the ruler of peace step down from heaven's throne and be born in such a humble way? Mm, but he did. That's what he chose to do. That's how he chose to come. It's strange to our human understanding, but Isaiah did say that he would be called the Wonderful Counselor. I don't know if you've ever thought about what those words mean. I'm sure you have, but wonder means beyond our understanding or our ability to comprehend. And Counselor means someone who helps us to understand and to comprehend. He is both wonder and counsel. Can I just throw this out there to you, church, today? You're probably not going to know all of the answers to all of the Bible and all of what God has done. He didn't design us to be that way. He designed us to be a people that would wonder, that would be full of 
wonder. I love nature. I love going out and, and looking at God's creation. It's my goal in life to preach the gospel of Jesus. My second goal in life is to visit all 63 of the national parks in the United States of America. So far I've been to 16, so I've only got 47 left to go to. Still a long list. But let me tell you, these 16 places that I've been, every single one of them in one way or the other has blown my mind. Just to see breathtaking beauty in, in a way that you could have never imagined and to see the colors and the, the heights of mountains and the, the, the valleys and the, the cool waters in the desert places and, and all of these wonderful things that I've been able to experience on God's beautiful green earth. It's amazing. But one of my most excited, or the one, one of the parks that I was the most excited to go to was Sequoia National Park. Because I had seen and I had heard of the largest trees in the world. Now, we come from a place where we grow and cut pine trees. And a lot of these trees, they grow up really fast. <laughs> and we, we cut them down for wood. But those that we don't cut, they can get pretty big. I mean, some of them, it would take two or three people holding hands to, to wrap around a single trunk of a pine tree that gets the opportunity to mature and to grow. And so I was fascinated knowing that there are trees bigger than these pine trees we have here in East Texas. And so I got online and I started studying and Googling and, and looking up different facts about these trees. And uh, let, me, let me give you just a, a couple of these facts here. It's really fascinating. Um, inside Sequoia National Park is the world's largest tree by volume, it's named the General Sherman, and it towers above the earth at 275 feet tall. To put that in perspective, that's as tall as a 26-story building. Or if you were to park school buses bumper to bumper, it would take, where are we at, eight school buses parked bumper to bumper to equal the, the, the height of this tree. While we, Emily and I went to Sequoia National Park in October to look at these trees. And there was an, an infograph there by the tree that gave the comparison that if you were a mouse standing at the foot of a six-foot-tall person, you would have about the same perspective as a six-foot-tall person standing at the foot of this tree and looking up. It's huge, huge. If you were to take me, I'm 6'2", I'm if you were to take me and stack me one on top of the other, it would take 47 of me to reach all the way to the top of this tree. It's incredible. It's tall. It's not the tallest tree in the world, though. It is the largest tree by volume. They say that there's enough lumber in this tree to equal the average 20-acre pine forest in one tree. If you were to cut this tree down at ground level, you could park a school bus on its trunk. It is huge, absolutely huge. They say it weighs over 4 million pounds, which is about the same as 370 full-grown adult male African elephants. It's a lot of elephants in one tree. 
They took what, what I found the most fascinating about this tree, though, is years ago they took a core sample out of the trunk to study it, to measure it, to try to figure out its age. And they, they took a sample out and, and counted the rings in it, which we know most trees have one growth period per year. So if you count the rings on a tree's trunk, you can roughly determine its age. And that's what they did to the general Sherman tree, and they have counted right around a little less or a little more than 2,500 rings, saying that this tree is around 2,500 years old. Now, let me put that into perspective for you real quick. This tree was already standing in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California for 500 years before Jesus was born. Wow. Let's go back a little bit further. This tree was setting roots about the time that Daniel was in the lion's den. That's pretty incredible. And Emily and I, were there in California. I'm sitting at the base of this tree on a park bench looking straight up, and the, the tree is just so tall it seems to disappear into the sky at a certain point. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. I, I couldn't really wrap my mind, being there in front of it, I couldn't wrap my mind around just the magnitude, the size of this tree. I was full of, in every sense of the word, wonder. It was beyond my ability to comprehend how this tree could grow this big and stand the test of time for over 2,500 years. I was absolutely blown away in wonder looking at this. But as hard as it was for me to wrap my mind around the facts of this tree, as I sat there, as I sat there on the bench looking up at it, it gave me, and you might say, oh, this, you're, you're a weird kind of guy, but it gave me a better glimpse at the heart of God than I had before I saw it. Because if our creator could create a tree that could withstand the test of time, he's got to be a mighty God. They say these trees, because of the sap in their bark and the, the sponginess of their bark, they're able to withstand drought, insects, and fire. They said this one tree has been burned by forest fires over 100 times in its life, and it still stands. It must be a mighty God to be able to create something like a mighty sequoia. <coughs> it also showed me the faithfulness of God. That this tree, with its system of roots, was able to withstand winds and rains and storms for 2,500 years worth of storms, and it still stands strong, and they say it grows wider and wider every single year. It's incredible. It shows me that my God is an everlasting Father. He's not swayed by the winds and the cares of life. He's not affected by our circumstances or our situations. He is mighty God and everlasting Father. It also showed me that God's heart is generous. I mean, we're talking about, th this is in a forest of trees, and there's probably over 100 different species of trees just within 50 yards of these giant sequoia trees God didn't have to create the sequoias. He didn't have to. There was all these other trees around. But he did because he can, because he wanted to, 
because he's generous. Think of the sands on the seashore. He could have created anything. But our seas are surrounded by the tiniest grains of sand. Too many to count. Think of the stars in the skies. Just this last year on Christmas Day, our country, along with a couple of other countries, the European Union and, and Canada, sent out a new space telescope one million miles away from the earth into space to study the stars and the planets and the galaxies. And in July of this year, it sent back its first pictures of different galaxies and far off places. They said that this telescope can see up to 16 light years away. To put that in perspective, one light year is six trillion miles. It's a lot of miles. And this thing with its powerful lenses and, and mirrors is able to look way deep into space. And what they're saying is we haven't even touched the edge of the surface to be able to know how big the universe is, full of stars and galaxies. They said if every galaxy in the universe was like our own, the Milky Way galaxy, we have around 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And they think in the observable universe, there's around 16 trillion galaxies. If you were to multiply 16 trillion by 100 billion, assuming every galaxy has 100 billion stars, you get over one septillion stars. Let me put that into perspective for you real quick. If you were a septillionaire and you were to spend a trillion dollars, more than any human being, more than any net worth of any human being in this world today, if you were to spend a trillion dollars every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, it would take you 31,000 years to spend that amount of money. And they say, we, we don't even know. The universe could be limitless. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our wonderful counselor. And I love what Romans chapter 1, Paul tells the Roman church, he says this. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Wow. What, what Paul is telling the church in Rome is he's saying, hey, if you've never even heard the name of Jesus, you still don't have an excuse to not know God because you can see him by what you see that he created. You can see him, his qualities in a waterfall. You can see his qualities in a, a tiny trickling river. You can see his qualities by gazing at the stars at night. You can see his qualities by standing on a mountain peak looking over at the horizon below. You can see God's qualities through the nature he created. But I want to tell you this, he didn't stop showing himself with creation. But he sent to us, unto us, a child was born. And this child would leave us full of wonder. And at the same time, help us to understand the heart of God. Our wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. 30-ish years after that first Christmas night, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he would tell them this in John chapter 14. 
said, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? The reason we have Christmas, church, is because God wanted us to know him. I'm going to say that one more time in case someone was drifting off for a second. The reason we have Christmas, the reason we celebrate Christmas is because God wanted us to know his heart. Not just know about his attributes or his qualities. We can see that in nature. But he sent his son to show us his heart. He went a step further than showing us how big he is. And he went to, so far to show us how much he loves us, church. That's incredible. That's worth celebrating. That's worth worshiping God for. The purpose of Christmas was to show us the heart of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. We can know God by looking at Christ Jesus. You can get in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can see everything that Jesus did, everything that he said. It was all a mirror reflection of the heart of God. How could he do that unless he was God in the flesh? Come on, church. Mm, unto us is born a child because he wanted us to know him. And all of these titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, all of these titles are wrapped up in one name, Jesus. I want you to watch one more video. What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with bread, the creator spoke yet another, Eve mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us a child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being, flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves. When we have lost our way to dark horizons, it is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace, 
When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years, breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity, exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies, sung by the passions of angels, roared in heaven's fervor, exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul renowned? For this is our wonderful counselor. This is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What name could contain Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the Great I Am. What name could contain the Word of Life, the Light of the World, the King of Kings, the Lord of All. We bow to the name that holds every other in its matchless worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. God, we thank you for that name. For a people that only thought and acted in wickedness, you came. For a people that were so rebellious and so hurtful, full of vengeance and anger, you came. God, for a people that were so broken, for a people that had been dealt with unjustly and unfairly by others, God, you came. Lord, we thank you for that name, that name, Jesus, that you are our wonderful counselor, that you, God, are our mighty God, our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. God, we thank you for that name, Jesus. That, God, you didn't leave us here to try to figure out things on our own, God, but that you made yourself known to us. That name, Jesus. God, we worship you. We worship you. We begin this morning by reading about those titles in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I want to read it one more time, but we're going to read the verse following it this time. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, 
a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. The passionate commitment. Anybody want to guess what his passion was? <laughs> Me and you. You want to know who his commitment was to? and commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. What is the this that Isaiah talks about? Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Jesus says he's praying in the garden right before he would be arrested and crucified on the cross. He says, should I pray that this doesn't happen? This is the reason Christmas happened. Was because there was a people that needed a manger, that needed a savior, God almighty, wonderful counselor, everlasting father and prince of peace. We needed him in our midst because we couldn't know him any other way. We needed the manger, but he came to the manger not just to give us a good story to tell in December. He came on the mangers because we needed a cross. As a sinful people, we needed a savior, someone who could take the burden of our sins because we're too weak and fragile to do that on our own and carry it upon his shoulders to a cross that I deserve. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the passionate commitment of Jesus would make this happen. And the this is the cross. The cross. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. And while we're getting ready to do that, if, if you missed this or didn't grab one whenever you came in, there's a, there's a little cup with some juice and a little cracker. If you didn't grab one of those when you came in, if you could just raise your hand so that an usher could bring you one, they'd be happy to bring one to you. <laughs> and if you're a family with your children, we, we haven't had kids' church or the nursery today, and I just want to brag on all the kids, what your parents are doing, but they have been so quiet and... <laughs> doing good. Y'all are doing great. But we purposely don't do that during Christmas because we want the entire family to have an opportunity to take communion together. So we're going to do that here this morning. On that first Christmas, there's some shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And all of a sudden, the heavens were ripped open and an army of angels appeared to these shepherds while they're just minding their own business. And they start to shout the praises of God, telling the shepherds that that very moment that they were talking to them, the greatest thing in human history up until that point was happening. That a savior had been born just right across the pasture there in Bethlehem. What does the Bible say the shepherds did? It says they were terrified. They, whenever the skies just peeled back and, and the angelic army just shows up and all of the radiance and the glory of God surrounding them, these shepherds, they're terrified, falling to their faces. They're, they're, they're scared. Why? They, the angels brought good news. Why? Why were they scared? It's because of the fury of that moment. The wonder of that moment. They couldn't wrap their minds around what was happening in that moment. But what did the angels say? They said, you will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. We're talking about two completely opposite ends of the spectrum here glorious fury from the heavens but go look for him in that barn over there he's going to be sitting in a cow's food <laughs> the disciples are terrified at the angels but when the angels leave the shepherds say let's go and see this thing that has happened so they go into Bethlehem and they look and they find Mary and Joseph and sure enough there is a baby lying in some sheep's lunch Wrapped in strips of cloth. Fury and silence. We serve a God who is a God of the fury and a God of the silence. And he shows us his heart in these different ways because there are some of us that are going through moments that feel like fury. <laughs> that feel like chaos, that feel like we're surrounded by destruction, that we're surrounded by despair. We seem to be going through a time of, of fury, but maybe even if you're not and you feel like you're in a moment of silence within your home and your, and your life, listen, he's God there too. He's the God of the fury and the silence. He came in such a humble, silent way, but he died in such a furious, violent way. He's a God of the fury and the silence. And so as we get ready to take this communion, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. First, just take a, a minute or two just to worship, just to thank God for who he is, to thank him for the story of Christmas and, and the story that we'll be celebrating in about four months for Easter. Thank him for who he is. And then I want you to do the second thing, I want you to take a moment to examine yourself. Paul tells the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, as you're taking the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. He said this because the church in Corinth, although they were believers in Jesus, in church they were acting just like the rest of the Corinthians. Paul says, this shouldn't be so. Examine yourself. Make sure that you're following in the example that God has left for us. Make sure that you are continuing to know 
the God who came to make himself known. So take a moment to worship. Take a moment to examine yourself. The third thing I want you to do is take a moment to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. And he did because he could and because he loves you. And we're, we're going to play just real softly for just a couple of minutes. And while we're doing that, if, if, if you're a parent and you've got some young children around you, I want you to take a moment to get with them and, and explain to them what's about to happen. That we're about to share in the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples, he said, every time you take of the Lord's Supper, do it in remembrance of me. And as we do this, we remember the gift that has been given. The gift was given on Christmas, but it came to its fulfillment at Easter. The gift of the cross is the greatest gift that we have ever been given, church. So do those things. Take a moment to worship. Take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to examine yourself, to tell your young children what we're about to be doing. And, and I do want to say this too. I think a lot of churches and a lot of church culture around the United States has, has made it almost kind of taboo for a child to take the Lord's Supper. But I love Jesus' attitude towards this. He said, let the little children come to me. And then he looked at the adults and he said, because unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So maybe the children should teach you what this means. <laughs> Maybe they have a little bit better grasp of faith and the realities of heaven than maybe we do. But take a moment in this time to be with your family, to, to discuss and examine these things together. And then we'll come back together here in just about two minutes and we'll take communion all together as a church body.
open the very top layer of this cup. It's a little translucent piece of film at the top. The first time I used one of these, I didn't know that there was a wafer in there. I thought I got cheated. <laughs> but there, there should be a wafer at the top. You just peel back the very, very top thin layer. It's a little white circular wafer. The story of Jesus at the cross is that he went and took punishment that we deserved. And leading up to the cross, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was abused, he was ridiculed, he was insulted. And then he was nailed to the cross with his hands and his feet. I'm not trying to just make this an emotionally capturing moment. I'm moved by the presence of God. Every time I think about what he's done and how good he's been. So, Jesus, we thank you for choosing to come for us, for choosing to love us, for choosing to show us the heart of God. God, we thank you for your body that was broken on the cross. We thank you that you took our pain, that you took our punishment, that you took our sin upon your body and carried it to the cross, and that after the cross you were put in the grave carrying all of our sin and shame, wicked desires and evil thoughts with you, God.
children, you may want to help them. I'm hoping this is kind of a stiff lid. And if you spill it, just raise your hand, they'll bring you another one. His body was broken and his blood was poured out. sin and with his blood spilled on the cross we were made right with God again let me say that again with his blood spilled on the cross we were made right with God again I'm going to turn to First Colossians real quick Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Verse 19 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. The word reconciled means to bring back again to himself. Through Christ, he has brought everything back to himself. It says, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. I want you to picture this real quick before we take. Jesus came down on the first Christmas night into a manger unto us was born a son he came unto us he came to be close to us but through the cross he pulls us even closer to him we have been reconciled we have been brought back into healthy relationship with wonderful counselor we have been brought back into right relationship with mighty God. We have been brought into eternal relationship with our eternal Father, everlasting Father. And we have peace again because of the blood of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So as you take this blood, let's thank God as you take this juice represents the blood of God. We take in this and we remember the blood that was poured out so that we could be made right and close to God again. 
this Christmas, I want to encourage you to be full of wonder again in the story of Christmas, in the story of the cross. Allow yourself to be full of wonder and allow the counselor to help you to understand and to comprehend the beauty and the celebration of the season, why we worship, why we lift our hands, why we express our praise to a God because he is so good. Would you stand with us today? We want to sing one more song. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to lift up your praise because he's worthy. I don't know if you've noticed that the, in the music tonight, the, the theme is worthy. You're worthy. God, you are worthy. So during this time, if you would lift up praise and then we'll come back together and pray and dismiss in just a moment.